Hi there, uh, welcome back for our uh, conversation series on experience design and strategy. Um, this week I'm joined by Pam Pavlicek. Uh, Pam is the uh, founder of Change Sciences and Sounding Box. She's a design researcher, uh, a speaker at conferences around the world, and the author of a forthcoming uh, book on O'Reilly uh, called Designing for Happiness. It's my great pleasure uh, to welcome Pam Pavlicek. Hi, Pam. Hey, Tim. So glad to be here. Oh, look, it's it's so good to see you. We met, um, it must be about three or four years ago now. Yep. Um, and when, when I first thought about having this series of uh, chats about experience, strategy and design, your name was one of the first people that I thought of, actually. And the reason is, is you gave a presentation at the very first UXTRACT conference uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, called UX Strategy Needs Numbers. And it really blew my mind at the time and it really sort of tapped into a feeling that I had that the UX industry or profession was quite a long way from actually getting a handle of numbers and especially numbers that are actually important or helpful to business people. And so your, your presentation and our, and our chat afterwards, I was really um, quite inspired and it really sort of set up quite a lot of thinking for me. So this is why, this is why I've asked you um, to, to come and join. Um, yeah. So in terms of that presentation, it it really seems relevant, even more relevant today than um, th than when you first gave it a few years ago. Um, could you, for, for before we sort of start um, our discussion, could you sort of introduce yourself and and tell us what you do? Yeah, well, so I lead a company that focuses on design research and strategy. And so that's our role. And constantly we're brought in to sort of gain a new understanding of how things are working for people who are engaging with whatever that technology is, but also from the business pers perspective and how is that working um, in tandem with all the other research and data that they're gathering to inform their decision-making. And so again and again, I'm sort of bumping up against this need for, okay, how do we track our progress? How do we measure success? How do we balance business needs and um, the needs of all kinds of different stakeholders? in this process and so that's kind of you know where i'm at and my interests are are kind of are all over the place when i think about it sometimes because i think wow i gave that talk a few years ago and i'm still very interested in in measures and and data and bringing together qualitative methods with quantitative methods and i, and I teach that at pratt institute now i do i you know that's a concern but i'm really interested in bigger picture stuff too now, like emotional and social well-being. And that's, and you think about them at first and you're like, how, what, <laughs> does that really make sense? But somehow to me, it all comes together and makes sense. So we can talk about that a little too. Pam, so in sort of preparing for our chat, I sort of went back and had a look at um, uh, some of the talks that you've given and, and some of the writings that you've done. And probably one of the words that sort of consistently comes up in there is uh, impact. Now, what's the impact 
of the products and services um, that organisations provide to their customers? What's the impact of technology on the well-being of people on society? It's a really, it's 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 a such a big idea, and yet uh, often feel as though as design specialists. We don't have a really good handle about sort of understanding impact or measuring impact. Yeah, I think it's, well, first of all, there's kind of this tension that we have, right? We're very conscious as designers and developers that we are designing our world and how we experience the world in a lot of ways. And if we're engaged with technology, that's becoming more and more a part of our everyday lives in all kinds of ways. So we're we're conscious of that. At the same time, of course, people are making their own experiences and shaping those experiences. And that's kind of a fundamental tension that we have in our industry. And so it's very hard to come together and find like how do we how do we understand that in a way that we can track? So of course, you know, in design, we're very very deeply committed to um, understanding people, gaining empathy, and we use a lot of qualitative methods for that, which are great, but it's hard to translate those into something that we can measure and track and get on the radar and understand because there is, you know, it's kind of a truism, like if if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, but I think if you can't measure it, you can't improve it either right so so it's this weird tension because i think we in design have an antipathy to reducing something to a number or to just one um you know simple measure at the same time it's pretty hard if we don't have that kind of way of understanding it's pretty hard to um understand if we've succeeded to make a case to um, branch out. So I, I think that's what we're all contending with that every day. It's a complicated issue. Certainly one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because it's, it's actually been a couple of years since I think we've spoken, but have you seen uh, sort of a raised maturity in organisations that you deal with um, around how they think about the measurement of customer experience or user experience? I think so. I think at least, you know, maybe organizations feel still like they're too siloed or they're not coming together. But I do feel like there's a move towards gaining, kind of going to the next level with measures. So for a long time, for instance, Net Promoter Score, NPS, has been something that's deeply entrenched that people have been committed to. And now what I'm seeing among our clients is a little bit of a questioning of that because it's a proxy for satisfaction and for all these other things um, that we care about, but it's not, it's not everything, right? And so, and, and it kind of, you know, you've got, okay, if you're rated nine or 10, you're a promoter. What about all those other eight and what are we meaning to them? Um, And, it's hard to gauge where that takes us long term. So I've definitely had clients who are thinking about, okay, well, we have kind of the short term measures. We're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at um, 
engagement kind of measures like time on site or clicks or signups or things that are very much in the moment. And where I think the field is going now is looking longer term, like, okay. Um, and NPS was only the only signal that we really had for things like loyalty or long term. And it's got a lot of shortcomings. And so I think people are trying to experiment with like, what kind of, um, you know, net positive value are we providing to people over the long term? How does that relationship evolve? Um, do we have a sense where our level of engagement or relationship or intimacy or however you want to put it is um, maturing over time? And those, so those, that's kind of where the organizations that are really thinking about ways to measure um, and, and improve and sort of guide progress are aiming towards that. And they tend to be, you know, the bigger enterprises, more mature, have spent more years thinking about this, already have a pretty good toehold in the market and are, and are looking to figure out kind of a longer view of things. And certainly, I mean, I think that's a, that reflects my experience in working with pretty big organizations um, and certainly NPS is it's, it's, it's become so well entrenched in these organizations you have to work with that as one of the one of the numbers in the framework I've been when I talk to people that work regularly with NPS and the sort of the outputs from that um, uh, that sort of data gathering or sort of regular sort of a metric that gets produced they're generally looking at the number but actually mainly examining the verbatim. So they're looking at the words that actually are coming through with those because actually often they're the most helpful things. Absolutely. That's how you get at the why, you know, <laughs> why are those numbers important? Why are people saying that? Um, and, and that kind of underscores what's essential about if you're going to have numbers and measures, which you need at some, at some level, you definitely need the stories, the the words, the perceptions, the emotions of people um, as they're experiencing it so that you can round out that number and give it kind of a fuller meaning and a fuller picture. So I think that's a really, a really good point. The other thing too is I think um, we're all, we're always sort of seeking to simplify in our minds and we like the idea of magic bullets. Um, and so MPS, I think, certainly I worked with a bank a number of years ago where they, they, they were like, this is going to be our number, that we just focus on this number. To the extent it went into people's personal objectives, I'm, you know, I'm going to get remunerated and rewarded on whether MPS goes up or down. And actually then generated quite a big feeling of helplessness at an individual level, people going, well, how on, and I work in this digital team, how on earth do I affect this at a... At a through my own activity. Um, I think, are there sort of frameworks that sort of include, sort of, are there sort of wider frameworks that you've worked with or seen in action that actually um, have been a step forward? Yeah, well, I, th I think, you know, there's a few different frameworks out there. So one of the most basic ones is um, SUS, System Usability Scale. That's geared purely, as the name might indicate, toward usability. A lot of um, organizations are using that, but it's only part of the picture. It's kind of like NPS. It's really, really focused. The other one that a lot of organizations are using 
um, is Heart. This was developed um, by the folks at Google. And I think, let's see if I can remember, um, happiness, engagement, acquisition, retention, and task success. So not necessarily in that order, but it had to make an acronym. Um, so, and, um, yeah, which I totally understand because we've developed a platform and we're kind of toying with, we had been using for years, usability, engagement, conversion as our kind of three big buckets and having multiple factors in there. And then we kind of had to move it around to make it a fancy acronym too, which we call Reverb. And we've sort of added in longer term metrics. So all of those are great because they get in at some key things like how are you bringing people on at first? How are you retaining them over the long term? How are they feeling? How are they actually behaving or experiencing it? What are their perceptions? I think those are all facets that we need. And so I get the impulse of simplifying under one score. Um, but I think that if you're looking for ways to bring more people into the process, to achieve goals along the way, to break things up so you can calibrate your experience a little more. I think having a framework is great. And one thing I'm really interested now as I'm kind of researching, you know, how does technology dovetail with our emotional, psychological well-being is looking at some of the global indicators that are being used to measure success. So for years, we had one. It was the GDP, unless you count sports, that might be another one. <laughs> but, you know, those are kind of the measures of success for um, a country. As an Australian, I totally get the sport one. <laughs> that should be above GDP. I'm not, a, I'm not generally a sport person, but, you know, the Olympics is like, yeah. <laughs> so we, we all get that. Um, now countries are experimenting with other kinds of measures. There's no one good measure. There's genuine progress indicator, and that tries to capture all of that unmeasured value. So in the tech community, that would be open source, would be a good example of unmeasured value. It doesn't contribute directly to the economy, but it's not being measured in the GDP. Um, there are other frameworks like social progress index that look at things like healthcare and education and environment. The main motivation behind all of these is let's look at it more holistically. Let's look at it big picture. And then if we separate it out into these different kind of threads or topics or subject areas, we can focus in on, on each of those. And better still, in each of those, if we're really sophisticated, we're gonna draw from a couple of different data sources. So for instance, um, if we take this over to tech and you wanna look at gauging people's emotional reaction to an experience as a way to, to understand it, you might still keep NPS in there as kind of a gauge of you know, overall feeling. You might simply want to ask them something we don't like to do in design sometimes because we think, oh, people can't articulate it. But when it comes to their what they're feeling in the moment or long term as a as a kind of overall thing, people can. Um, you might set other indicators too, like did they not return things or did they stay a customer a long time? So having those drawn from different sources, a subjective source, an objective source a long-term held measure and then grouping it together 
in a system, I think makes, makes a lot of sense. It gives it more credibility, more, but more nuance that you can work with too. The, the, I was going to ask you about a couple of words that I'm seeing more and more. Um, so firstly, uh, happiness. You know, I think I mean, you, um, your, um, your forthcoming book is called Designing for Happiness. Uh, we worked with a, with a, a big financial services organisation in the UK where their number crunches were able to show a positive correlation, strong correlation between happy customers and value. The thing that they weren't able to do was actually be able to work out what made customers happy. So it sort of generated a whole bunch of harebrained, harebrained things um, from putting sweets on the counter of a bank branch to giving away things. What, I guess, I guess what's your take on the, the sort of this idea of happiness and the, how businesses think about customer happiness? Yeah, I, well, I think that's evolving too. I, and that's a really interesting conversation. So for years, we had this concept of delight. And that would be sort of the candy on the table or a really delightful detail. I think what's happening now is we're realizing as all of these other academic fields are coming in to um, have their kind of say about happiness, that we know a lot more things. We know that little touches like that can add to your happiness in the moment, but they wear off delight has a shelf life, you know, so we can't, so we have to think about other factors. And that's where looking at all this great research that's coming out of behavioral economics and psychology and sociology comes into play because we can see some consistencies. There are some things that consistently um, drive well-being and that is strong relationships, great conversations, um, you know, a feeling, feeling of belonging, um, lots of things that are relevant to our tech experiences that we kind of know in the back of our minds, but they might seem kind of squishy, like, okay, well, what can we really do about that? And, and to some extent we can't, we can't design it. Like we can't design it. So people feel a certain way all the time or they take away this certain meaning but we can facilitate that and support it if we make it a goal and and kind of put it out there and say yeah this is actually what we what we want to do and a lot of companies are moving towards that and there's a lot of business contexts where um, that's already happening at Fordham University they have something called um, the V positive index it's value positive index and they're looking at some of these factors, I think mostly in terms of marketing. So looking at it kind of as brand promise more than the experience that you have. But it's starting to, to make its way over. So when we say happiness now, it's not just like, yay, little, you know, happiness with a small H. It's sort of happiness with a big H around this idea of well-being. The other the other word I was going to sort of ask you about, sort of in your thinking, is this idea of friction. I, I read I read an article recently where it was really sort of saying a lot of people are pushing. Actually, no, I've been I've sort of been exploring this a little bit too. This idea of customer effort, you know, is customer effort a you know another another number that might be useful in tracking alongside all these other numbers. But what, what, this, uh, what this author was basically saying is actually 
the idea of creating totally frictionless experiences is a, is um, is kind of fairly sort of woolly thinking. Firstly, because generally speaking, um, no organisation can ever deliver their complete end-to-end life cycle of customer experience without some level of friction. So it's kind of choosing where you want to have the friction and the pleasure to be. I mean, what is 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 this sort of friction and effort idea been sort of something that you've thought about as well? Yeah, well, actually a lot because I think when we talk about well-being and technology, a lot of our conversation has historically and continues to be productivity, convenience, efficiency, and frictionless, right? That's what we consider to be a great experience. That's what's going to make people happy. But what we're learning from the research about happiness is that people like to, you know, it's not a place that you get to. It's a process that you grow into it. And part of the reason, the way you do that is by making your own meaning and figuring things out yourself. And um, if you look at behavioral science, this whole idea of investment and putting in a little effort um, is something that's come out of behavioral design and it has been applied in good ways and bad ways, but that all of that is, is relevant. So figuring out what are the things that need to be frictionless still um, and where do we invest a little bit of effort I think is an interesting conversation that we're going to continue to have. I think some of it has to do with this is something I've been pondering lately and I don't know if it's fully formed or not with our self in relation to how we use technology. So if I think of a technology as part of myself, like an extension of myself. So Alexa would be a good example, right? It's, it's, they're debating like how much personality do you give it? If I view Alexa as just kind of a long finger, like to put this, put on this, you know, music, play the audio book, order the thing. I don't know if I really want to have a conversation with, with her, especially when I think about like, who am I really having a conversation with at this point? However, there may be experiences where I am in feeling social about it. And I, I think that's an area that's going to be interesting to explore. And I think it sort of dovetails with this idea of friction. Like how much do we want to invest in that relationship or are we investing in ourselves? Those are all important things we need to start thinking about and figuring it out. And it's a little weird for us, honestly, right? In tech, because we're so used to being like, yeah, we're just going to help you get stuff done. And technology is becoming so much bigger than that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, one question I wanted to ask, actually, this is a question from um, one of the founders here, Tom. He Tom was at that first UXTract conference with me, and he was very... Um, I mean, I think he was very... He had that presentation you gave had a lot of impact on him as well. One of the questions he wanted me to ask to you was we're sort of working with quite a lot of um, big sort of enterprises where they've sort of moved past this digital transformation, the era of digital transformation, which in reality has been the era of digital replatforming. You know, where the big tech groups or the big consultancies have come in and said you need to transform your organization there's probably been some level of organizational change 
but but mainly they've just left this big platform behind that the business case must have been built on something we the reason for doing I mean, and the investments have been huge, haven't they? The people, sorry, organisations investing hundreds of millions of uh, dollars into sort of digital technologies. Is what are they? What do they do next? You know, so actually, how are we going to sweat these assets or capabilities that we've created, and how are we going to motivate our people and our teams in the right way? Numbers are a big part of. I mean, one, 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 I think one, one of the slides that you put up there was actually numbers motivate. Yeah, actually, numbers are incredibly powerful in getting people to, to really push themselves or teams to push themselves. As a company sort of, sort of suddenly has all this digital capability or technolog- technological capability with some people capability, hopefully, well, have you, do you have any thoughts around actually how, what, what, might, be the, what might be the areas of impact and measurement that they should be focusing on. Yeah, well, I think a lot of organizations at this point are thinking about how do they measure the long-term value that they're having in people's lives. And that's really hard, right? Because right now we're measuring stuff that's pretty easy and available. That's why we've kind of in this mess where we're designing for attention a lot of times because we've got... You know, it's pretty easy to collect really basic engagement measures um, like like time or clicks or scrolling or things like that. And it's harder to measure these other these other aspects of experience. I think those are the numbers that people are going to want to start to measure. Um, you know, what place does this have in my life? Uh, long-term, those kinds of things. And it's been a very, at least for the organizations we work with, it's a bit of an individual experience, but it always comes around some balance of those traditional metrics because those aren't going away and you have means to measure those, but bringing in some other measures that are not purely attention or, or economics, but that are kind of situated with the the other human beings, other stakeholders in the system. I mean, I've, I've actually been in quite a few client, different client situations where clients have actually talked about the idea of love. Mm-hmm. Could we get our customers to love this or love us through this thing? And, th- and that's a... I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine that conversation happening ten years ago. I mean, is is that is that word even sort of a meaningful thing when we talk about businesses and their brands and businesses? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just another stand-in for the same concept, whether you call it love or you call it happiness or you call it long-term value. It's this idea of you know we have to get at something bigger hopefully in not a creepy way you know but in a way that that's actually legitimate i mean if you think about it there are certain products certain experiences in your life in everyone's life where it would really be a hardship if that was taken away um or you feel 
irrational emotions about it. I can think of many experiences. <laughs> I feel irrational emotions about. I can think of digital objects that I narrate as if they have personalities. Um, you know, like we do crazy stuff. We develop these crazy attachments. And I think businesses are coming to recognize, hopefully that, you know, there's some, that there's something there to building those relationships. And if they're really advanced, they're recognizing that we shouldn't exploit those for, you know, some kind of short-term game or, or number that we should try to develop those and understand that relationship over the long term. And having numbers is a way to get at that. But of course, you know, you need all of the other storytelling and, um, you know, personal information around it to really understand that. So I do think, but I, I've seen that too. A lot more companies are thinking about kind of these, these big ideas that seem kind of squishy, you know, when like we wouldn't have talked about them 10 years ago because we're just like, God, does it work? You know, like, is it going to make, I mean, I, you know, I've been in this for a while. So back in the late nineties, it was still a question, like, could people even make money on the internet? You know, like, would that be a thing? <laughs> and, and it sounds ridiculous when you look back on it now, but that was, you know, that's, we figured out a lot of things and now we're sort of to this next you know, level, but I wonder on an organizational structure level too, where that's going, because so much of digital experience has been about screen experience and that's, and so now organizations, a lot of them, you know, who are slower moving just got that going, you know, they got their, their digital group together and now it's all unwinding again. <laughs> and so, because we're going back to, physical products with embedded chips or technologies. So uh, that may be behind this move to think about kind of bigger metrics in the picture too. And, and I guess what, ex what, what excites you most about sort of looking forward and actually when we, sit, when, we, uh, when we look at sort of the role of experience uh, researchers, strategists and designers, um, I guess, what excites you the most about the future? I think I still remain excited about the role of technology in our lives. I have three kids and, you know, there's lots of fretting over kids and their brains are being destroyed by technology and all this stuff. But I see so many positives and I see so much curiosity and hope and um you know drive for a positive future and that kind of motivates me because i think there's and there's so much going on that you can almost um i don't know get get lost in it in a way that's a pretty exciting time i feel like maybe in the last five years it started to feel like, okay, yeah, we know how to do this stuff. We're finally getting it. And now that's just completely come apart again. And that excites me. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, I look at my children and think, I'm, I'm going to have an interesting job for the next 
20, 30 years, hopefully. <laughs> I know, maybe it's because I'm a researcher and I tend to like mess, you know, I like to get into everybody's mess, messy, irrational, emotional things. Um, so, and I look at that and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of interesting things to explore here now. <laughs> Well, Pam, that's, that's all we've got time for, for this, for this episode. We haven't even really touched on, I would like to talk to you. I know you've been doing a lot of work in the field of artificial intelligence and sort of the human impact of that. Would it be okay if we got you back to actually have a, have a sort of a further chat about um, sort of other topics? Oh, sure. I would love that. It's been so much fun. Oh, great. Well, look, thanks very much today, Pam. It's been great to see you and I'll hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.